it's good to have people to lean on, mm. even if it's not someone that you know completely, at least someone that can chat to you or someone that can, that's understanding. So you can have something to fall on in case you kind of get those feelings. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. And when we do, many of us, including me, are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations And I hope better conversations with attempt survivors. I'm certainly going to try. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com. And wherever you are listening to this podcast, thank you. I really appreciate your support. Please keep listening and let people know about it. If you'd like to follow us on social media, Facebook and Twitter at suicidenoted. If you are listening on Apple, one thing that really helps is to rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it and hear these stories by these survivors. These stories really matter. Today, I'm talking with Kyle. Kyle lives in Victoria, Australia, and he is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Kyle, how you doing? Yeah, good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for doing this, man. No, all good. So here's a here's here's what I'm curious about. You emailed me. I assume you heard one of the podcasts at some point. Yeah, I had listened to the podcast, and then I was like, "Well, I'm a survivor, so absolutely, yeah." Always curious. What's the difference in someone reaching out and just saying, "Ah, "I'm going to listen or do my own thing"? I'm so curious about that. I guess it was more just more just the fact that it had been over a year since I did it, and I'd talked about it so many times with other people thought might as well go on a podcast <laughs> yeah you're saying that you also have talked about it a lot with people or with many people i think oh uh, with friends family that kind of thing when you shared it with them or when they found out how did they respond what did they say or do depends on the person so my mother she was understanding because she's been through it um when she was younger Dad couldn't understand what it was about. So he just kind of had the reaction of, why would you do this? Did you answer him? Um, or was it really more of a rhetorical question that he was asking there? It was, it was kind of hard to answer when he, when he was asking it. And that was also what you said well over, I think you said early 2019? Yeah, so that was April 2019. So it's been, what, a year and a half or so? Yeah, a year and a half. Gotcha. And also friends. You told some friends? Yeah. Only like two. They cool about it? Yeah, they're chill. And maybe that's why they're your friends. <laughs> that's one of the reasons we have friends, right? Exactly. Yeah. Tell me in your words, however you want to, uh, about the attempt. So it was a Saturday morning, Saturday night. Family was out in Melbourne, actually. 
it was just me and my sister at home. My sister has her own, like, separate area away from the house. So it was just me in the house, basically. Mm -hmm. For a little bit of time, I was talking to a friend. When I usually have thoughts, I usually message one friend, and that usually chills it down. But this time, it didn't really work. Yeah, I had stashed some pills and just took them. You stashed them? When you stash something like that, you're planning. I had it for just in case. That was your first attempt, only attempt? Yeah, only one attempt. What is it like to be going through whatever you were going through and share, if you will, what that was that leads you to say, I'm going to stash some pills because I might be thinking of ending this stuff. By that time, I'd been diagnosed with anxiety and depression, general anxiety. I don't know what depression. And then also... uh, Asperger's autism for the past year or two before that I was on suicide watch because I was heavily thinking about it and sharing that with at least one person yeah I don't know that much about Australia but people can't read minds there either <laughs> so <laughs> somebody knew that Kyle was yeah yeah my my therapist had had some idea but of course you don't tell them everything no, I get it. I mean, well, you have to be careful, right? Yeah. All right, let me pull back for a second. So uh, before you attempted, you. you had been diagnosed, which, by the Session. way, anxiety, depression, and Asperger's, that's a lot to deal with. Yeah. I also like to be a perfectionist. So well, that year I was doing year 12, you had that added stress of finishing school. Right. Hang on. I'll go back a bit. Sure. So the year before, I was originally at a private school for a bit i was self-harming um Mm -hmm. cutting that kind of thing and people started to notice because my stupid ass didn't hide it properly (laughs) (laughs) well Um, i'm gonna pause you but don't lose your spot if you can do you think that when you're cutting and you're not hiding it that's kind of a bit of a like wanting people to see it or you just were a little sloppy about it see i was hiding it but certain areas i was cutting the clothing would creep up a little bit. Right. It's like with pants. Right. If you sat down, the clothing would come up. Yeah. Yeah. One or two people saw it. There was a big fuss about that. The school didn't really deal with it correctly. Mm-hmm. So I got taken out of that school and then put into online school because with Fast Fergus, social communication isn't the best. Mm. So I was put into a virtual school where I could do the work and talk to my friends on site. Mm-hmm. When I did my attempt, I was doing online school. Starting year 12, I was I was in a deep depression. I wasn't really productive at all. Didn't really get any work done, that kind of thing. It was in April and I had just gotten a test back. My I have high standards and Anything lower than a B, B plus is shit for me to the point where if it's below like a B or a B plus, I have a breakdown. And this was F range. That kind of kicked it off. Which class was it? It was math. And the the thing is, I love math. Yeah. So I was like, oh shit. It was a lot worse. I had a breakdown and and stuff. So that was the kind the thing that kicked it off. And I'd never gotten anything like that before. Prior to that, my dad had just gone surgery for 
for his kidney stones, and he was on the verge of dying from that. It was April 16th when I did my attempt. My family at that time was also owning a business. Mm-hmm. So I had to step up when he was in hospital because he basically took charge of the business. So I had to step up and I was basically running the business while also doing year 12, which isn't the best combination. It's not a good combination. So, yeah, that test result kind of basically made everything else hit the roof. So I don't know what, what point, but I started messaging my friend who usually can calm me down with that stuff. We connect well because, well, she has suicidal ideation as well. So she understands that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. After maybe an hour or two of messaging her, I was kind of like, no, I'm, I'm going to attempt. Because we weren't in like a phone call or anything. We were just messaging each other. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about repercussions and stuff, but I love you and da-da-da. So I did it and then I went to bed. The rest of that night she was messaging me and I, I had my phone turned off. So when you went to bed, you had already taken the pills? So I took the pills and then I went to bed. Mm-hmm. I woke up the next morning, nothing nothing happened. And I was like, um, okay. Um, nothing happened? Nothing? Like it, it, you weren't even sick? Oh, I did vomit once or twice um, when I woke up. So I woke up and I was just kind of in a daze. In my head, I was like, shit, this didn't work. I'm just going to leave it a few days and see if anything starts to happen. Mm-hmm. I took the pills on Saturday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning. The only problem I was having was I could taste it, like metal in my mouth like metallic taste. Mm-hmm. I went to my doctor's like that Tuesday and I've got a good relationship with my doctor, which is good. Um, and he was like, you got to go straight to hospital, which was like a two, three minute walk from the actual doctors. He wrote me a letter and then he rang my parents. Um, he had to let them know because I was still underage then. So I was 17. Mm-hmm. I met my parents at the hospital and I gave the nurses the note. Yeah, they immediately started doing the usual, putting a drip in, doing a psyche valve. Yeah. Because they couldn't really do anything until they did a test to see what was actually wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, I was basically in one of the beds in the emergency room just waiting for maybe two hours. <laughs> so it really wasn't a rush, apparently. Right. No, low stakes here, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, but now, now in their defense, though, you were seemingly okay. You went to the doctor. Yeah. You walked over there. You didn't come in. No, I was stretcher, right? I was still lucid and shit. When you try to end your life, you presumably don't want to be alive. Yeah. And then you wake up. So I get it. Uh, okay, maybe I vomit, and this happens, and that happens. But like, you didn't want to be alive, and then you woke up, obviously alive. Like that's got to be. I don't know. What's the word? Weird? It was definitely weird. So when I woke up, I basically just lay in bed for most of that day. And I was thinking about what I could do, whether to just wait out the effects of the pills or I don't know. Mm. I had no backup plan really at that point. Right. Yeah. It was just kind of like, I don't want to be alive. Yeah. That kind of thing. Back at the hospital, when they got the test, I was put 
I was taken to the pediatric unit and I had to be on a drip for like two days. During that time, I had a caseworker come in mm-hmm. to assess everything. That all kind of went down and then I didn't really know how to feel mm-hmm. like the whole time in hospital. They had to flush out all the leftover ibuprofen. It was making me drowsy and kind of spacing out. Mm-hmm. So when the caseworker would come, she'd ask me questions and I'd just be there going, uh, sure, yes, no, like one-worded answers. The hard part was when the drip had finally finished, so the two days, able to go home for another two days because my parents weren't comfortable with me being at home because mm. I was still suicidal. I was still suicidal, but I didn't have a plan. But they mm. still didn't want me at home. Yeah, after four days in the hospital, went home. And then like a week later, I had an appointment with my caseworker. Yeah, I had to start seeing my caseworker every week to figure out what, how it was caused, that kind of thing. I went in and I tend to try and warp the truth, like yeah. W-A-R-P. Yeah, so I can get out of a few things. Sure. And but they also know that you're doing that if they're good. Yeah. Yeah. That should be probably like basic <laughs> stuff for them. They know that people bullshit them. Yes, yeah, so I went in and we got talking and she was like, Are you still suicidal? I'm like, Yeah. She's like, Do you, you possibly have a plan? I'm like, Yes. So at that point, because I was still under 18, she had to know from my parents. My, my parents oh. had, had to actually close down the shop and come over. What kind of shop and, is it, by the way? sportswear okay so just a retail shop gotcha it was awkward because i was left in the room i was left in the room with them while the caseworker went to go talk to her higher up that's a tough spot the awkward silence of having to sit across the room from your parents after your caseworker have just said that you're suicidal and that you do have a plan that's kind of like (laughs) so did mother or father say anything, or was it that just awkward silence for a while? It was awkward silence for mum. Dad basically just came out and said, why do you do this? Yeah. Basically, he was like, why would you do this? Why would you want to end your life? I'm sure your dad's a super cool dude, so. I'm wondering here, I don't think that's actually a question. It's a statement. You shouldn't do this. That's what it sounds like to me. Am I off? There were questions in it, but... A few of it was rhetorical, but then he would be looking at me waiting for answers. It is a tough one. I couldn't answer any of it because I didn't know. So a caseworker came back and she was like, you're going to be admitted to the psych ward, which is a three-hour drive away. The ward for my area is in Melbourne, and it's like a three-hour drive. And so that car ride... Oh, man. <laughs> I want to I want to have a recorder in the car and just have a three hour podcast episode on the car. <laughs> I just want to hear, even if it's like two hours and fifty four minutes of silence. It was I think the podcast. The listeners could sense the silence. It would be riveting. Sorry, and I, I, you know my case my fun. It just sucks. Yeah, no, it it is it is interesting. Yeah, as you said, there was a long silence, and considering it was. My parents and myself in the car. My caseworker didn't come. They left my sister at, at home because my sister's, what, 20? Mind you, this was, 
I was in back seat. Mind you, this was that's uh, the eyes in the rearview mirror from time to time. Remember those? <laughs> yep. Oh man. So yeah, so that was the longest three hours. We ended up getting to the place at about like seven o'clock. I think my dad stayed in the car and my mum took me in. That was an interesting six days in the Slack ward. Six days. Helpful? Yes and no. There were times when I didn't have any energy at all and just wanted to end everything. Certain times where everything was just fine. Mm-hmm. In that ward, there were six other people. So six other people under 18 because mm-hmm. it was a pediatric ward. I got close to a few of them, but of course, after the six days, you kind of just leave and try not to reminisce. So I was April, May, I think. Mm-hmm. I started seeing my caseworker weekly, weekly until my birthday in June mm-hmm. when I turned 18. At that point, they were kind of like, you're 18 now. That area was only for people under 18. So they kind of had to send me off somewhere else with a new person and a completely new environment. Yeah, it's difficult to have to like rediscuss everything all over again. Absolutely, yeah. Especially if you like to warp the truth too. Well, maybe that's perfect oh. opportunity to warp the truth. <laughs> it's p- perfect and sometimes. Right. But then also the first place had sent information to the second place. I was basically linked in with that second place for about six months. Mm-hmm. And then again, I was passed off. I was passed off to another therapist. So all that information from yeah. both places got passed off again. Yeah. And that's where I'm at right now. It's not the longest I've been with therapists. I've been having suicidal ideation since I was about year six, grade six. It's about 12? 11, 12. Okay. I started seeing a therapist from about about 13, and I saw him for four years. Let me go back for a second. I have a question for you. A similar question that your dad did, and these are a tough one. Is there a why? You kind of answered it a little bit, but more about um, diagnoses. But is there other stuff you think that really contributed to the attempt? I say there isn't really a why, mm-hmm. but then there's there's a few reasons. Other than the like things that were happening at the time, and yeah. of course the diagnosis, so depression, which doesn't help also. The diagnosis doesn't yeah. help? Mm-hmm. Well, I was never told the diagnosis, but I kind of knew that it was in that kind of area. The fact that it was diagnosed as depression mm-hmm. wasn't the thing that was weighing me down. It was more the thoughts and like everything that comes with, say, depression, the negative thoughts, mm-hmm. everything else. My dad because i don't have the best relationship with him he doesn't understand any of it so even anxiety and depression so it's kind of hard for him to visualize it right i'm not picking on your dad here i (laughs) promise i'm Uh, not picking on your dad it doesn't it sounds like he doesn't get it and he doesn't in in a way he doesn't get that he doesn't get it i think he kind of pushed all that part onto my mum. 
because as I said, she also has depression and anxiety and had suicidal ideation when she was young. Right. What about your sister? Has she been um, spared this damned curse? No. <laughs> no? I can't really say much because I don't know my sister's situation. Right. Like, I know she has demons as yeah. well. I didn't actually know it, but a few years before I started self-harming, my sister was self-harming, and they nipped that on the butt early. Mm-hmm. Early enough so it wouldn't, it wasn't as recognizable. Yeah. Have you consistently ideated or ideated at all since, I suppose, the attempt or the hospitalization? Yeah. It's been worse the like, past month because, of course, you have ups and downs. Sure. You, yeah. got, you still got a stash? No. Are no. you warping the truth right now? No. <laughs> and yet, I, yet I'm smiling with that for some reason. Right. Sure. Right. And what we say here stays here, but it is a podcast and people might hear it. So, you know. Yeah. yeah. No, um, there's yeah. no stash. Sorry. There's no stash. Ideating can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, I think. So for you, is that, what does that sound like or feel like? It's the only thing that you're focusing on for that whole time. So I don't want to be alive. Are there any myths that when you hear people or read about it, or you hear people say them, you, you think to yourself, that is complete bullshit. One thing that has always been interesting is that connections with Asperger's and depression, mm-hmm. the Asperger's can sometimes contribute to the thoughts, Okay, but it doesn't always. Sure. So like you overthink everything, but with certain things, you don't like full stop. I don't know how to support that. Sorry. No, um, no, that's okay. I don't know much about Asperger's. Talk yeah. to a few people that have dealt with it or deal with it. But yeah, it sounds really hard to try to put into words or articulate, particularly to people who aren't going through it. Like, you know, you just can't. Yeah. That confuses a lot of people. In some ways, it also confuses my therapist and my parents. You don't know when you're overthinking. Mm-hmm. If the overthinking contributes to the suicidal ideation or if it just contributes to like distracting it. Yeah. It's a big mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not you. I'm not saying you are seeing all these different. No, it's like messy, man. Yeah. And a, for the last eight months, clusterfuck. it's a clusterfuck in a lockdown. Oh yeah. In a lockdown. Now, some people, interestingly, have done from their words, not mine, actually feel like their lives are a little better in the lockdown. Uh, some certainly by no means are. So uh, what? how has it been for you? For lockdown, a lot of, like, say, my friendships were I met online. So that didn't really affect what happened when COVID came in because right. I was yeah. still able to talk to them online. And then I didn't really have a social life outside of online for a lot of time. So, well, for a lot of years. So it didn't really affect me when that came. Where's the girl that you were talking to the night you attempted? She's in Adelaide. But like, is she still in your life? Oh, yeah. You're friends with her? Yeah. Hmm. I don't think she realizes also how much she's done. Yeah, I, I, I would. I am gonna venture to say that she would say the same about you, though I can't be sure. Yeah, 
what is the likelihood, Kyle, that you will be here in five years? Maybe 50%. So there's a chance, but mm. yeah, at the same time, there's also a, a chance. There's a chance to go either way. <laughs> yes. So there's some, there's some hope, but there's some maybe not so great. Yeah. Yeah. Other than online stuff that I think you mentioned, did you, what, what's the stuff that you like doing that helps you cope or just you enjoy, period? Yeah, I enjoy driving. Driving, driving has been a big part. Driving um, a car? Yes. <laughs> driving okay. a car. No, no, no. But do you have like a race car or just regular car you're driving oh, around the street? Yeah, just driving, just driving around really? um, in a regular car. What kind of car well, are we talking about? It's not a special car. It's just like a Holden. Um, I don't know what the Holden is. What is that? Oh, <laughs> it's a it's a brand of car. Then an Australian like, car, a Holden. Yeah. So you, you know how you got like Ram, and do you have Ford in Ford, America? Yeah, do we have Ford? It's like the backbone of our whole country, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. So we also, apart from Ford, we also have like Holden as well. So you're driving That's around your neighborhood in the Holden, feeling good. Kind of in buttfuck nowhere. So oh, that's where you live. Country. You live in buttfuck nowhere. Yeah, not where it's cold, but right. in the middle of nowhere. It's good sometimes. I'm sure it is. <laughs> People who are listening who feel like Kyle feels or felt like Kyle felt, anything you would say to them? It's good to have a like people to lean on, mm. even if, say. It's not someone that you know completely, at least someone that can chat to you or someone that can, that's understanding. Um, so you can have something to fall on in case you kind of get those feelings. Yeah. What about to the people who, uh, like your mom, your dad, your sister, maybe friends who are, uh, you know, in your world, whoever might be listening. Yeah. Maybe their kid or their sister or their friend is feeling especially down. I know this is a tough question, but anything that uh, based on your experience yeah. you might want to share with them? Just more or less be there for them. Like I know it's not their responsibility to like message them like every day going, you doing all right? Sure. Da da da. Even if it's just keeping up communication, um, like you would a friend, like family, talking to them. If you don't have a lot of trust with them, they can kind of build that trust with you so they can in turn trust yeah, trust you if they need the help. Apart from friends that I know online, mm -hmm. I didn't have the best social life at all. Mm -hmm. From 11 to 16, 16, 17, there was this one guy who excluded me from the whole group who I would call a friend. His ex-girlfriend is one of my best friends. So you now. said he excluded you from the group? Yeah. He was nice to me when we were at school. Casual conversation, like, how you doing? How's classes doing? In school, I had, like, a little group mm -hmm. that, I was, that I was at least a part of. Mm -hmm. But then outside of school... So when it came 3.30 when school ended, I didn't have contact with anyone from that group mm. until the next day at school. It's hard because the one thing that also flared up my ideation mm. was 
seeing the whole group, so there were maybe like 10 of them, seeing the whole group like in town and then me with my mum driving past and she's like, oh, it's your friends. I'll be like, like going, yeah, but they didn't invite me. I was never a, a thought. I was more of an afterthought. Mm. The ex-girlfriend of the like leader of the group. I was kind of, I say close to her, but we didn't really talk outside of school until like 16, 17. Not message her like out of school. So one day I got the courage of messaging her going, when you're out as a group, could I possibly be invited? And she's like, we have been inviting you. At that point, she started looking into it and his and her boyfriend, the ringleader of the group, was lying to the whole group about inviting me, saying mm. that I was busy the whole time. Never one else ever thought to ask. I wonder what his motivation was. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? But not such he a nice thing to ass. do. He's an ass. Oh. Was ass or is an ass? Is an ass. I mean, people change, but probably not. Yep. We can call him an ass. Yeah, he is. There you go. I mean, if you don't want to be called an ass, don't act like an ass. <laughs> I mean, gets pretty straightforward. Exactly. Don't treat people shit if you don't want to be called an ass. Exactly. That's the biggest takeaway from our talk today, I think. Or one of them. <laughs> Yeah. What I I, I got to tell you, uh, not to sound trite at all, I'm glad that uh, a year and a half ago it, uh, you know, you woke up, man. You're still yeah. kicking, still doing your thing. So uh, I'm glad about that. And uh, yeah, awesome, Kyle. Thanks so much for talking, man, and uh, hang in as best you can, my man. Yeah. Thanks for having the podcast, Sean. You got it, man. I, I like doing this stuff. So uh, mm. let's hope it helps. You know. Yeah. I don't know. I right, can at least help someone. Yeah. At least one, maybe nine, yeah. maybe 33. <laughs> maybe nine. We will never know. But hey, uh, both m- myself and Kyle are hoping that people hear this and maybe, I don't know, man, feel a little less alone or feel a little, a little more something they need to be feeling. Yeah. Yeah. All right, sir. Have a good day and, uh, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, you too. I'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and special thanks to Kyle out in Australia. We release new episodes every Monday morning, so I really hope you continue to listen. You can follow us on social media at Suicide Noted and you can reach out. If you want to share your story, if you have a comment or a question, hello at SuicideNoted.com. Until we connect again, stay strong, do the very best you can. I'll talk to you soon.